We've been talking about making a next step with God. And before I dive in, I'm going to back up. All right, thanks. We'll try again here. We're in this series on taking the next step. We've come to the last in the series. And I was really intending this just to be a series for us to go, okay, you know, we've made some commitments in our lives. Now what do we do? So uh, prior to the series, I talked with you about the significance of baptism in our tradition and this, this outward sign of God's inward cleansing and his inward work. And then the, the, and, and the statement that we make in baptism, that it's something that we are saying to the public, we're saying to the world around us, God has redeemed us, washed us, marked us, and set us aside. And then the statement that uh, we make to the body of Christ when we become members in the church, which is simply a statement of, you can count on me. And here uh, in the next week, we're going to have some people who are going to become members of our church. And so they're going to stand up here, and they're actually going to answer that very question and say, I'm in. And um, that's an exciting thing. That's also a little bit of good news for us that we have some people who want to join us and want you to know they're joining. Um, So then what do we do after that? I've been washed, I've been cleansed, I've been changed by God, and I'm, I'm in now. I'm part of the body, I'm part of the kingdom. And this has been our steps then. The next step is to connect. Connect with people who will walk with you in the best ways. And you might remember I suggested the phrase, I have your back. I've got you covered. You're not alone. The next step was to pray and ask God to do things that we cannot do. We, we need God to be at work in our world, and our prayer somehow has this incredible connection to what God does. And so let's be in prayer to invite God to do radical and new and redemptive things in our world. Last week we talked about purity and how God can cleanse us and can help us to be people who are different and changed in our very character because we have encountered his Holy Spirit and we now have his Holy Spirit. And to hear Julie's words earlier sharing that story that Now I feel my guilt is gone. That is exactly what God wants to do. And today we're going to talk about sharing. So now that we have taken these steps, we're at a place where we need to look at what God has given us, what he has put into our hands, and what we do with that. I want to put a thought in your head, and I hope it stays with you for a little while. Here's the thought I want to share with you. What we hold in our hands is temporary. It's always temporary. It doesn't matter whether it's our money or our possessions or our assets. It doesn't matter whether it's our time or our energy. It's always temporary. It doesn't matter if it's the people we love and we hold their hand. It's always temporary. But what we use that for and what we do with what we hold, where we use it, can be eternal. It can make a difference that will go on and on into eternity. And it's interesting to me that there are people who like to talk about legacy, especially people that are on the public stage. 
and uh, whether they're political leaders or celebrities, and they think about what, you know, I want to leave a legacy. I, wanna, I want people to read my name, and then what follows was they did something good. That's, that's a common thought and wish, is we want to leave a good legacy, a good heritage. And for those of us who follow Jesus, it gets reshaped a little bit because what we leave will probably not lead people to our name. It probably won't be the people someday will go, you know, I want to Google who started using flying cars, you know, first. And it's not going to be Hendrick Smitters. I, I, you know, somebody someday might go, I want to Google who found the cure for cancer. It's not going to be you or me. We could even have somebody a little closer to home, a little more reasonable. We could have somebody Google and say, who were these free Methodist people? They call themselves free Methodist in Wichita back in those years. And coming up with your name and my name might be rather difficult. Eh, Probably they'll find it. But here's what I want. More than my name there, I want us to leave something behind that is much more lasting than two words. I want us to leave something eternal. They were here, and because they were here, look at what changed. And the resources that they had, they used them in such ways that the world is different now. And that sounds like a big thing. And we look around at the world around us and it seems like it's nowhere near enough. And so I'm going to uh, share with you, we, we live in this world of deep, great, real needs. And I want to share some stats. So uh, as is my pattern in here from time to time, I'm going to start by depressing you and making you really discouraged. And then at the end, I'm going to tell you that's okay. God's got his hands on this. That's, that's the way I do things. So here's some sobering stats for you. And uh, this, is, this is really recent current stuff about poverty in America. People in need here in America, not around the world, but right here among us. Single parent homes in America where there is no wife present. It's a single dad and his kids. 12.7% of them live in the poverty level or under the poverty level compared to the national poverty rate of 11.8%. So you can see that single-parent homes where dad is the dad and mom is not there, more of them experience poverty than is average. You guys know where this is going, right? So here's the next one. Single-parent homes where there's no husband, almost 25%. So here's, here's how you interpret these things. One in four single mothers you encounter is living in poverty. That, that should stop us. It gets deeper. Not better, maybe not worse, but deeper. A person living with disability, their chances of living in poverty are 25.7%. It's even higher. And this one was the most sobering for me. 16.2% of children, that's one in six kids in America, lives below the poverty line. So if you think about that, 
if we were to gather a hundred kids in here, which wouldn't be that hard to do, if we were to gather a hundred kids here in our sanctuary, 16 of them, almost 17 of them, are living in poverty. Those are 2018 statistics, and you can see where I got it from. And if you go to that webpage, there's a lot of really good and challenging information. That's pretty sobering. There's a lot of need out there. And some of you know this. Some of you work among these people in different ways. And some of you work to alleviate these poverty issues. And I just want to stop to say thank you. And then I would just add to this, this is in America. And once we get outside America, the rate of poverty goes up really quickly. My sister was recently getting ready. She was preparing to do a presentation for Hope and Healing Africa about some of the work that we do in in Mozambique. And um, she sent me some stats, and she goes, do these seem accurate? And I looked them up, and I said, yeah, I think they are. Average income for a person in Mozambique for a year. One year income in Mozambique. Anyone want to guess? 1,200? 200? Jeff's far closer. $280 a year. $280 a year. And think about what you spend on your cable bill or your car payment. And it changes things a little bit. And uh, Chuck, actually, when he walked over a minute ago, he wanted to remind me about this being Veterans Day on Monday. And uh, I'm so thankful to live in America because there are so many things we enjoy. And we might wring our hands and we might say, oh my goodness, our country is a mess. But when we look around us and we see what's going on in the world around us, our country is fantastic. Let's just count that blessing today. And every one of you men and women who served and uh, made that possible through military service, thank you very, very much. Now let's compare that to what's happened economically in our country a little bit here. Um, I told Jeff this morning I was going to share this because he and I talk about this a lot, but the rise in executive incomes. This is incomes among CEOs in America since 1978. CEOs in America, their income has gone up 940%. And this is really current stats. I'll give you a place to go look at them if you want. 940% their income has gone up. They're making a lot of money. The typical worker in America, since 1978, their income has gone up 12%. More money in the hands of fewer people. And we can talk about that societally and how you change that and what we might do to differ in that. But here's the thing. As I was working on this, I was reminded several times this week how blessed I am not only to live in America, but I do not go hungry. In fact, I have a higher propensity to eat more than I should. I'm not worried about my electricity being turned off and being cold tonight. I'm not worried about how I'm going to get to work this week. I own a vehicle and it's running okay. And I could go on and on. And in fact, I live, your pastor, I live with a very low level of financial stress. 
and chances are you do too. Now, we tend to make more of that than it should be because an unexpected bill comes in, we've been living too long paycheck to paycheck and things like that, but we tend to live with enough resources. Our biggest problem isn't that we can't gain enough, it's that we can't manage it well enough. That is generally true of of us in the room here today. You can see where I got those stats that came out in August of this year. We live in a world of need, and we tend to believe these things about that. We believe I cannot make a difference. I don't make enough money. It takes somebody like uh, the Koch brothers or Bill Gates or... Donald Trump, or somebody that's made millions, hopefully billions, it would probably take billions. I cannot do that. Um, I can't make a difference. We need somebody that's going to be our president to fix this. That's uh, that's an American myth I think we've bought into, is if our country's going to get better, it'll take a president to do that. And I just want to suggest to you that that's deceitful. And I mean that, I don't care which party they're from, I don't care what their platform is. If this is going to change, God is going to do it with us, not them. And then the last little myth that we tend to believe is that, uh, oh, and by the way, this is just economic stuff, this is not really a spiritual matter. And then, in order to get there, we've got to take an awful lot of things out of Scripture, don't we? we got to take a lot of stuff that Jesus said and just kind of, well, let's get over that in the Gospels, you know, about taking care of widows and orphans and things like that. So that's where we live. We live in a world that is impoverished and it's probably going to get worse. And we live in a world where there are a few people that are getting ridiculously wealthy. And we don't begrudge them but we think they have a heavy, heavy responsibility to our society. Now, let's look at God's word. I'm done depressing you. Let's talk about what God has to say. 2 Corinthians 9, this is a familiar passage to many of you, I'm sure. It's got a lot in it. As Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and he's talking to them about generosity. Just bear with me a minute while I set this up. He's talking to them about generosity and the church in Corinth, you guys remember, anytime I read from the church in Corinth, think the most dysfunctional, sin-filled, messed up church you could find. They were a mess. And so you might think that Paul would say, you know, once you guys get everything figured out and sorted out, it'd be good if you would give. Take care of your stuff first. But he's saying this to the church in Corinth. He says, what I mean is this. The one who sows a small number of seeds will also reap a small crop. The one who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous crop. Everyone should give whatever they've decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. God has the power to provide you with more than enough for every kind of grace. That way, you will have everything you need always and everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. 
I just, I'm going to pause there for a moment. We're going to read on here for a moment. But there's a promise that we really struggle to believe. A promise of God. He will provide everything we need to do every kind of good work. Verse 9. As it is written, he scattered everywhere. He gave to the needy. His righteousness remains forever. The one who supplies seed for planting and bread for eating will supply and multiply your seed and will increase your crop, which is righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. Your ministry of this service to God's people isn't only fully meeting their needs, but it is also multiplying in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. They will give honor to God for your obedience to your confession of Christ's gospel. They will do this because this service provides evidence of your obedience and because of your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone. Again, I'm just going to stop here for a moment. You know, from time to time I say, you know, in Scripture when he says all, does God mean all? When he says we share with everyone, does he mean everyone? Um, Let's live with that one for a little bit. They will also pray for you and they will care deeply for you because of the outstanding grace that God has given to you. Thank God for his gift that words cannot describe. Or, as some of us may have memorized this, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So I'm going to pick this apart a little bit. I want to suggest to you, and I want to suggest this in the most careful ways, because a lot of people get this wrong and get it all mixed up. But I want to suggest to you that there's a relationship between the generosity that we extend and the blessing we receive. Now, here's the thing. I think this is where we often get it wrong. We tend to believe, and preachers do horrible things with this kind of idea. We tend to believe, and we tend to say, and we tend to try to manipulate people into saying, into thinking that if you give, then God will bless. So you do this, and then God will give you something that you haven't yet seen that you really want. And there are preachers on, the, on TV and on the internet that are raking in gobs of money based on people believing the twist to this that says, if you give to me and my ministry... God is going to heal you. He's going to change all your circumstances. He's going to do all this stuff. And so you give in order to receive the blessing. And it's twisted. It, it, it's like the coin got flipped around the other way. The truth of the matter is, if you have encountered Jesus Christ, you have received blessing. If you have received forgiveness from your sins, you've received blessing. If you've received your daily bread, if you make a paycheck at a job, you're blessed. If you have any form of income, you have some blessing. 
What we tend to do is we put the blessing as the trailer and we put the generosity as the car. If you're generous, then some other unknown, greater, incredible, lavish, usually materialistic blessing will follow. But the truth of the matter is, as God's people, the blessing is the car and our generosity is the trailer. God has and is doing great things for us. Make no mistake. The families that he has given to us, the church body that we get to be a part of, where we live in this world, the heritage we've been handed, we can go on and on. We enjoy incredible blessing. And out of that blessing, God expects generosity. He does not expect generosity from us first. He expects generosity as it flows from his blessing. That's different. So the condition or the relationship isn't that if you give, if you put a big check in the offering plate today, God's going to do something amazing for you this week. That is a twisted gospel. The truth is God has done something great for you. It's already been done and it will continue and it will be renewed and his mercies are new every morning. And we need to be reminded over and over again, we are a blessed people. And whatever generosity God elicits from us comes from this place where we have already received. Another way to say it is this. Everything we do in relationship to God, whether it's giving and charity and generosity or even in any other facet, Everything we do in relationship to God is a response. It's always a response to what he has already done. I never initiate anything with God, and nor do you. He initiates with us. Everything I do is simply responding. And that takes the pressure off of us. I don't have to write a big enough check. I don't have to give enough of my time. I don't have to, you know, pray enough prayers or pray them with the right people. And then God will show up. He is previous to us. And he is already at work. And as I say those things, I know that many of you are going, yes, I've already been blessed. I've already experienced blessing from him. So, the generosity isn't us starting something, it's us responding to what God has already done. But here's some things I want to remind you, and I don't have to remind you too much about this. We see evidence of this all around us. We live in a very affluent time and nation and so we know that people who hoard it ends up killing them now we see this in very graphic physical terms when we see people who just cram as much as they can into their house and into their car and into their life and you just go whoa this isn't healthy and we've all heard those stories of people who died in their house because you know, the first responders couldn't get in there because there was just stacks of stuff in the way and then they couldn't get them out because you can't get a gurney in there and things like that. And that's, that's like worst case scenario and it's horrible. And it's the physical manifestation of what has happened spiritually. We have hoarded and we have just, I'm just going to bring everything in I can and I am going to try to pack as much into my life as possible. And it seems wise. 
but it's foolish. In the same way, uh, a few years ago, I, um, funny enough, I was actually sitting at my desk when I heard this. I was, I was sitting at my desk listening to a radio show while I was working, and on the radio show, they were talking about health in the United States, and the guy that was, they were interviewing said, well, what Americans need to understand is that sitting at a desk is killing you. And at first I kind of chuckled because at that very moment I was sitting at my desk. And then I went on to listen and sitting at this desk is killing you. If I sit here plunking away on my computer every day, all the time, I'm going to die. And that was literally his message. And I was sitting right in the middle of the target he was shooting at. Because the more we extend, the more we use the more we appropriate what God has given us, the healthier we are. As I was thinking about this this week, it it came to my mind that in uh, what is true for many of us is that uh, we hold on and hoard hoard our financial resources based more out of fear than any other emotion. I am afraid that I won't have enough. And so that motivates me to hold on to money, invest it, put it aside. And and to a degree, that's not bad. Because we don't want to live without some kind of margin and some kind of backup to our resources. However, at some point we need to acknowledge that This God that we love, that we serve, that we follow, is the one who really cares for us. And what we gather in will never match or eclipse what he says he's prepared to do for us. There's those words to that hymn that I love so much. And I don't think this has just to do with money. Let me tell you, I think this has to do with every area of our life. But you probably know where I'm going. The words to that hymn. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, his wonderful giving, amen. Thank you. It has only begun. And I think that for many of us, God sits back and goes, hoard all you want. If you want to trust that, you got it. And when it's all gone, I'll be waiting for you. And the way to get around that and the way to deal with that is to say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to trust that. And I will use it. And I will even spend it because I want to trust in you. You see... Hoarding kills us, but the other side of this is generosity frees us. And we could even go beyond the freedom aspect and to say generosity fulfills what God intended us to be. God intended us to be his ambassadors in the world. And we can only do that if we are generous of spirit. Now, I don't know how that sits in your life and in your world. And maybe for you, you're uncomfortable because the pastor's talking about money and I don't have another dime to put in the offering plate when it comes around this morning. That's fine. 
My hunch is there are other resources that God is also working on with you. What are you doing with your time, with your energy, with your emotions? How are you managing those? How are you sharing that with others? Because your money is probably just a symptom of a greater bankruptcy. And generosity frees us. And many of you know this because recently you did this. When Chrisal said, hey, we're going to do fall festival, would you come? Would you give us this evening? And maybe even for some of you a little bit more to help us set up, to help us tear down. Would you be a servant and feed these people who come in? Would you be so bold as to be friendly to strangers? And take that risk and extend yourself. And what I found, and I know many of you found, that in the exercise of that, there was joy. There was joy. I went home tired. And the next day I was tired too. (laughs) But it felt good. And I'd rather feel tired for how I have spent myself than to feel tired and wonder, what happened to the resources I thought I had. You see, God gives so that we can give. He has given to you and to me so that we too can give. I, you know, in, in our society here in America, we probably feel the pinch most in our pocketbook with our finances. But I think something that's shifting and changing in our culture is that time is becoming more of a valuable resource than money. And I think that is very important for us to understand. Because once we spend time, we tend not to get it back. But the way we spend our time enriches our life. And I'll just tell you that what I do with my time tends to fulfill me far more than what I do with my money. Have you ever thought about that? What I do with my time tends to be far more fulfilling than what I do with my money. There are some fulfilling things I do with my money too, trust me. But I'll leave that there. I want to go back to this passage where Paul's talking to the Corinthians. In verse 11, he says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Remember the car and the trailer analogy? Paul's saying, God is going to give you incredible resources. And for some of us here, they will be financial resources. But for some of us here, it's going to be resources of intangible things that the world does not value until you give it away. God is going to give you joy. God is going to give you peace. God is going to give you energy. God is going to give you inspiration. And you cannot buy those things. God will make you rich in every way so that, and that's, there's the the key phrase, so that. The world would say, God will make you rich in every way so that your life will be awesome. And then they define that as everything you can buy and enjoy and the time you have to just luxuriate. And here's the thing. He says, so that you can be generous in every way. Now, there's somebody here in the congregation that's going on a cruise next week. 
And uh, this is going out of the internet, so I'm not going to say any names. But they're going on a cruise so that we get them back. Right? Refreshed. Renewed. Stronger in their marriage. Rested in their bodies. No pressure, you guys. God is giving some of you a day off this week. And you need those kinds of resources because the kingdom needs you. Take care of yourselves. And then he goes on, such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. Now, of course, Paul's speaking directly about receiving a financial gift from them, and that allowed Paul to go on and do ministry, and he says, you know, then these people give thanks because you gave away. Others will say God is good because you enabled it through the way you handled your resources. I want to close with this. I want to remind you that God is the one who supplies. He's always the one who supplies. We are simply the ones who manage. We are the ones who funnel those resources. And we should funnel them in the ways and the directions that God lays on our heart. That's why there was that whole piece that Paul included in what we read earlier about how God loves a cheerful giver and we should not give under pressure or compulsion because we need to let the Holy Spirit guide that out in front. Never forget where our resources come from. They come from God. We cannot generate these things. There is an American myth that people are self-made. God enables these things to happen. And he gives us, whether it's our health, whether it's our energy, whether it's our time, or whether it's our finances, God provides And if you have need in one of those areas, God provides. And if you need someone to pray with you about one of those areas, God provides. Let's ask him. But as we say that, never forget that the power that we have in the act of giving is truly a holy cause. It's a holy thing. It's a spiritual thing. Now, whether that means we give to somebody who's in poverty, helping them get out of poverty, whether that means we give to the church because we've made a commitment to this church to help this church grow and provide ministry to people who desperately need to encounter Jesus, whether that means we give to a missionary because they are taking that word around the world, it's a holy cause. And I want you to do that as God lays it on your heart. But I want to bring this down to something very specific for us because we're going to talk about this next week in some very specific ways. For 2020, I want you to pray about your commitment to the Lord. And I would ask you as you pray to consider that this is your church. That this is where God has given you a fellowship with other believers. (coughs) Excuse me. And... He has given us an opportunity to do things together and that requires our resources. So recently, our leadership team was wrestling with some numbers that our finance team pulled together and extrapolated. 
And we were looking at these and we were moving some things around. Say, okay, Lord, we're going to try to make this happen and we are going to try to present a budget that looks really wise and careful and reasonable. And it's been really hard. And what we came up with was we're about $5,000 away from where we need to be next year. And that's, if we do this extremely modestly, if we, if we were to say, let's do this in the most appropriate ways, we're about, I would suggest, about thirteen dollars to $17,000 away by my rough calculations. But we can tighten our belts and we can be really careful and if we can come up with an additional 5000 over what we've raised in 19, we can make it. We can get through. And so I issued a challenge as the leadership team, we were sitting around the table together and I go, hey, can we step up? Can we be the first ones to step up and say, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. We'll, we'll get there. We'll be a part of this. Now, we may not make up that full 5000 but we'll do that. And before the end of the meeting, we had commitments of about another 1100 1200 I think it was. And some others on the leadership team said, I want to go and pray about this. I want to speak with my spouse. I'll get back to you. We're meeting today. So if any of them are hustling out of the parking lot before I can say, hey, are you coming back for the meeting? And you know why. No. They're a great team, and they, they took this seriously. In my talking with some of you, with one of you, I encountered one person who said, you know, my circumstances are going to change next year. Now, I don't have anything on paper, and they didn't sign any pledge, and they, they haven't made any formal commitment other than a conversation they had with me. And I said, you know, my circumstances are going to change next year, and I think it's reasonable for you to expect that I will give an additional $4,000 next year. Pretty amazing. Now, I may go back to him and go, are you doing it? (laughs) Because I'd really like to see that, not just because I'd like to sleep at night, because I want to see what God's going to do with them. With somebody, an individual, one person, This isn't a family, this isn't a couple, this is one person that said, that came to me and said, I think you can anticipate an additional $4,000 from me next year. Now, that's great. Here's what I would challenge you, Northwest, and for those of you that are listening to the podcast, you can just turn it off now, and God bless you, and don't drive off the road if you're in your car. But for us here at Northwest... I want to challenge you this week to do these things. I want you to pray. And I want you to ask God, Lord, what is it you require of me? And for some of us, that's going to mean going back and looking at our finances and saying, is this the best I can do? For some of us, it's going to be looking at our time because you know, we could always use people around here to volunteer some of their time. Whether it's helping out with the kids on Wednesday night, Right? Thank you. (laughs) Or cooking a meal on Wednesday night. Or giving up some time to take one of the classes on Thursday night. Or coming early on Sunday morning just to be out in the foyer and smile and greet people. Those seem intangible, but they make a difference. Or maybe it's an emotional taxing of... You know, I've been talking to my friend for so long and they keep saying I want to go to your church and it's time for me to get a little pushy with them and say, 
This week is the week. Come on. Pray and ask God what does he wants to do. Then the next thing is, if God lays it on our hearts, can we be so courageous as to say, God, we believe that what you have called us to and asked us to do, we can do. With your power, we can actually do that. And then next week, here's what I'm going to be asking you to do together, and that is commit. I think God has asked me to do this. I believe he is faithful and strong. And you can count on me to do this. Let's bow our heads.